It's 1989, and I'm in my room banging out on WordPerfect 5.1, the very first script of an audio drama I would ever write. I never expected it would end up produced. I never expected it would be the first of many to come. Greetings. I'm Jack Ward, and this is the Electric Vicuna Podcast, a pod show of the original works from Electric Vicuna Productions. I love film noir. I love the grittiness of detectives, and despite the double entendre of her full name, I picked Philippa as a first name because I love Philip Marlowe. And I picked Graves as the last name because I knew the title of the show had to be Graveshift. Philippa is a tough cookie before I ever heard of V.I. Warshawski or Candy Matson, or even Trixie Dixon, girl detective, with apologies to Greg Taylor. My first Philippa was my friend Karen Weisenborn Vandenberg. Karen had the perfect smoky voice to play the no-nonsense detective. She even came up with the perfect theme music, Cole Porter's Get Out of Town. Although Sharon B. could do a rock-your-socks-off version, I recorded it with a high school student with a voice like Nina Simone. She knocked it out of the park. This was our first grave shift with the awesome Anne Guy in the role of Philippa. Here's open for business. Shadowlands Theatre presents Graves Shift, Episode 1, Open for Business. Written by Jack J. Ward. Produced by Jack J. Ward and Andrew Dorfman. Directed by Jack J. Ward, Andrew Dorfman, and Pasha Ebrahimi. There is a land that's somewhere beyond the horizon. You may catch a glimpse of it when the sun sets, or in the moments before dawn. It's the twilight that flickers at the edge of imagination, somewhere between reality and fantasy. It's the place where monsters roam, and portals to other worlds wait in the back of the closet and in the crevices of your mind. Welcome to the Shadowlands. never heard the shot that ended my life. I don't know if the assassin used a silencer or if the old story about never hearing the one that turns you into worm mulch was true. Either way, I lay on my desk late Tuesday night, getting red all over my paperwork. In other circumstances, I wouldn't care. I hate paperwork. The slug in my chest ached like the three days I spent trying to quit smoking. I'd gotten used to breathing. Death was a change. I'd like change about as much as an eagle would like to trade in his wings for some mucklucks. My name is Philippa Graves. I'm a Private Jane. Yeah, I heard him called Private Dicks, too. 
But I found most gumshoes who go by that are engaged in wishful thinking. So who aced me? I'm lying in my blood trying to think who did the deed, and I find myself flashing back. Don't know if a flood of memories is a sign of a croaky or if I'm clear-headed enough to solve this one last mystery. I remember my first job. I just got in the office with my last few bucks. The place was a mess. Holes in the floor, holes in the walls. That's okay. I hate decorations. I have a knack of killing off plants, or so my ex says. Anyway, the rent was cheap and the view wasn't bad on a foggy night. I just pulled out my cigarette for the third time and pushed it back in the package a third time. Yes, I'd figured I'd quit. Little did I realize that my Satan sticks were about as inconsequential to me as an elephant in his trunk. The phone rang while I was trying not to hunt down matches in my desk. Graves Detectives. How's it going, Peaches? The voice on the other end was Ernie Rosenthal, an old cop chum of my father's. I knew it because only two people in the world called me Peaches. My dad died a year back from a weak ticker. Ernie, you paid an awful lot to cap that eye tooth just to have it knocked out again. Come on, Peaches. Why so moody? I've got a job for you. I was down to the last cigarette. Quitting or no? And that told me one thing. I could use the cash. What's the job? Meet me down at the station house. I don't really want to go into it on the horn. See you shortly. The line went dead, and I got up and headed for the coat rack. Going somewhere, Peaches? This voice was Harold Fortenbacher, my secretary. Quiet kid. No experience. Boyish innocence. Makes terrible coffee. Even loses my messages. Buns shaped like the beginning of two new moons in a starry midnight sky. Trust me, you'd hire him too. If you've got a death wish, keep calling me that, Harold. Hey, it's not my fault if you don't know how to work the intercom. I showed you a number of times and still, whenever you pick up the phone, you patch the line through to my desk speaker. Whose bright idea was it to have an intercom system in the first place? Yours. You got tired of getting off your chair when you wanted me, remember? Technology. What a waste of mankind's achievements. My idea of a modern invention was a record player you don't have to crank to keep going. Okay, okay, look. Just see if you can get my gun out of the pawn shop while I'm gone. With what? Last month's paycheck? The station house was a lot of things, but what it wasn't was a cop shop. The station house was a dirty old drinking hole on 5th, whose patron's idea of throwing darts required curare tips. It didn't take me long to find Ernie at the bar. I took my seat carefully. At this bar, if you ordered a shot, you were liable to get pump action. So what's the scoop, Ernie? He looked about as tired and dry-eyed as I'd ever seen him. His paunch wasn't improving either. If his car ever broke down, he wouldn't have fire to look for a spare tire. It ain't your flavor of the week. Multiple homicide. You read the paper? Only when I'm training my secretary. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Nice gams. You're the weirdo they're calling Mr. Fix-It? Cute name. He uses a blade like an exacto knife, doesn't he? Yeah, that's the guy. He's been working in the East District. Found the eighth body in the dumpster. Took a while for identification. Why? That's his ammo. Skins the face, the hands of his victims... Sometimes even plucks out their eyes or cuts through their gums. Screws up dental records. He's a real prince. What you drinking? What else? Broken cherry, please. The bartender snorts and mixes me my own favorite drink. Scotch and cherry cola. I drink it because no one else wants to. So what do you want from me? The answer's, what else? Downtown cut me loose from this guy. They say we can't spend any more time wasting taxpayers' money truth is, if this happened in the South End, instead of some down-and-out hookers, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Are you hiring me or expecting a freebie? I know you got debts, Peaches, and I owe the memory of your old man too much not to pay you. Hey, where are you going? Listen, if you are going to pay me, then great, Ernie. But do it because you know I can do the job, and not because you owe something to my father. Okay, okay, look, I'm sorry. You're right. Come on, sit back down, okay? I'll need an advance, and payment for expenses.
We worked out the details and I left about an hour later with five slugs in me. One was a bullet I took three years ago, and the others were multiple broken cherries. I'm not sure which gave me the most problems. Ernie was worried. This guy had killed more than five people in the last month. The cops didn't worry that much about street trash. They were more concerned about white-collar crime. I was beginning to wonder how long the floor at the department could stand all the garbage swept under it before buckling. I grabbed a cheese danish and a coffee and headed back to the office. You're here kind of late, aren't you, Harold? I don't pay overtime, you know. You don't pay, period. But I got your gun from the shop and figured you'd be returning shortly. Till I have enough money for an apartment, it's a safe bet I'll be sleeping here. Or at some bimbo studs place. For someone who doesn't have a lot of money, you sure drink a lot of coffee. We do have a pot here. What do you pay me for? Certainly not your coffee. Shouldn't you be at home with Wendy? Well, yes, but she understands. We're both working a lot lately, so we can have enough money to pay for the wedding. Yeah, I tell you, take the money and run. You'd be happier. Just because your marriage didn't work, boss, doesn't mean that everyone else is bound for failure. I just call him how I see him, Harold. Where's the gun? On your desk. Good night, boss. Good night. Lock the door on your way out. I closed the door to my inner office and sat down, lifting my feet on top of the desk. My husband never let me do that at home. Another perk of being on my own. I reached down and picked up my forty-five. It's not filled with Megadeth ammo or scratched with Eat My Barrel. I don't sleep with it. While many P.I.s name their heater like Bessie or Liz, I'm not sentimental. I just call my gun Rod. And no, it's not my best friend. I have a better social life than that. I was cleaning Rod and pulling out old newspapers from the bottom drawer of my desk. Sherlock Holmes supposedly kept a very orderly collection of newspaper clippings and clues in different files to help him with his cases. I'm just too lazy to throw papers into the recycling box. I cut out all the pertinent information on the Mr. Fixit killings and placed them around my desk. There wasn't much. Papers were about as interested in the Fixit murders as the police. They only gave it room when they found the serial connection might make some headlines. Mostly, they squirreled a story around features on attempts to clean up the east side. Another great waste of money. If the corporate dons really wanted to do something, they'd use their money to flush all east district down the sewer and start again. Drugs, sex, and gang violence moved in where Mom, Hot Dogs, and Apple Pie used to live. My first move was to go down there tomorrow and see what I could dig up from the street urchins. At least they took care of their own. I woke up late next morning with newspaper clippings stuck to my face like dried-out Kleenex. This figured with the dream I'd had about cutting myself shaving. Harold strode in looking bright and chipper like every morning. I almost killed him for it. Good morning, boss. Rough night? I'm certain I wasn't counting ceiling tiles like you and Wendy. Where's my coffee? You're such a grouch in the morning. You know Wendy and I want to save ourselves for marriage. Dying for another letdown, huh? Where's the paper, dammit? What am I paying you for? My staying power? I'm just going to get your coffee now. Here's your paper. Chisel me off a slab of black this time. No sugar. You know, I have to watch my health. I let my morning fag and creased open the daily. Most of the pages were filled with the same political BS. Didn't matter what stripes the parties ran as, they were still yellow when dealing with the real issues. Then I saw it. On page 37, cop injured off-duty. Ernie Rosenthal was gunned down by a passing car leaving the station house bar late last night. He's in critical condition at St. Mary's Hospital awaiting delicate surgery. They must have rushed to get this in today's print. I rolled up the paper and ran out the door, leaving Harold in his black molasses without a single Bayou May. Ernie looked awful. His face was a dark white color. I'd seen bodies in caskets with better pallor. The doc wasn't offering any side bets as to how he'd turn out, either. Since Ernie had no family, I got the dope on his injuries. Whoever shot him got several slugs right in his chest and gut. Hit his pancreas and his liver. Just missed his heart. Something told me this was a professional hit and not just random street violence. I left the dock to do his cutting and headed off to the 14th precinct where Ernie worked. 
to try and see who was gunning for him. I made it into his office no problem, but one of the desk jockeys was off and running. He came back with Lieutenant Mickey Franco, a by-the-booker that gave the Spanish leader a run for his money in a miscongeniality pageant. Just what the hell do you think you're doing here, Graves? I think I'm about to ask you some questions about the cases that Ernie Rosenthal was working on. Doesn't seem to be anything in his desk. Rosenthal was a victim of random violence. If you have evidence to the contrary, you may give it to this officer. He wasn't working on any cases that would want him dead. Now get off that desk and move it out of here. We do have departmental procedure, you know, so why don't you wait in reception, like the rest of the little people? You want I should remove a lieutenant? Franco, tell your ape to get his hand off me or he'll find out if his sphincter is as well-developed as his biceps. No, officer. I think Detective Graves is beginning to understand she's not wanted here. I'm just a bad penny. So Ernie wasn't involved in any important cases? How about the Mr. Fixit homicide? How did you... Never mind. Your expression says volumes. I'll be taking my leave now. Why don't you walk her over here? He appears to be able to need a good fire hydrant about now. Good day, gentlemen. If I catch you in here again, Graves, it'll be your license. I don't need an excuse, you know. And what'd she mean by that? Shut up! Franco told me an awful lot without meaning to. There was more to this fix-it case than he wanted out in the open. So why'd he take Ernie off of it? Was he trying to cover something up? I hadn't been exactly... truthful with him. The cops hadn't looked over Ernie's desk yet, or they'd have found his message pad. Ernie was supposed to meet someone by the name of Iggy Ragliano today at 3 p.m. in the slum in the East District. Something told me that Iggy would give me a lot of answers. So I planned to meet him myself. I boarded the subway and played with my lighter all 13 stops trying not to ignite my cigarette. I failed at the fourth stop. I'm always bad at this game. The slum looked about as bad as they come. Holes in the walls, stairs as steady as stepping across tree branches. The air had the faint smell of burning crack and that new toilet water that had hit the streets. Spirit. I checked the number one more time and banged on the apartment door. The number fell off the nail. And in a moment, an eye appeared at the keyhole. Who's there? I pulled my fedora low over my brow. Ernie Rosenthal, I said, trying my best imitation. I heard the chain slide onto the door and the guy stepping away. Can't be. Rosenthal's doing his pastor strain imitation at St. Mary's. Go away. Iggy had no manners, so I changed my approach. I foot to the door and it came down easily. Almost as easily as my gun was out of my pocket. Iggy had fallen down and was already scrambling to get up. I grabbed his beard by his chinny-chin-chin and placed Rod up his left nostril. Amazing how decongested his voice got after that. I I, I didn't shoot him! I swear! I didn't shoot him! Well, who did? You're gonna kill me, right? You're Goyle! Uh, Goyle cop, right? I ain't a cop, but you're right. I ain't gonna kill you, Iggy. Tell you what else I'm gonna do. We girls can get nasty. Where do you think a man would least like to be shot? Iggy lowered his blue eyes slowly. That's right. See, if I were a guy, I'd sympathize with anyone whose beans fell from the beanbag. But you're smoking crack if you think I like the idea of you touching any of us girls. So I figure this is just some social cosmetic surgery, Iggy. You know, sort of fixing a problem that should have been corrected at birth. I lowered my gun appropriately. Come on, Iggy. I'm behind the eight ball here. Are you sure you couldn't help a girl out? Rod's hammer clicked back poignantly. I love a man who needs little to say to get a point across. Okay! Okay, Jesus! Let's not go shooting something off I may miss later! You're crazy! You're one crazy chick! Look, Harcourt came to see me. He's an enforcer here in the East. Yeah, he says he, he wants me to make an appointment with Rosenthal. Said that the cop was getting too smart for his own good. But that's all he said, got it? I mean, I was just supposed to call him and tell him I had information on the fix-it guy. Harcourt said he'd take care of the rest. I didn't know he was gonna shoot him, honest! So just, 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 just chill, okay? Okay. Rod fired off one shot. Iggy hopped around with his hands cupping his manhood. <laughs> the blank I fired wouldn't cause any permanent damage, but the flash burns would definitely leave a scar, if just emotionally. I figured I owed Ernie at least that much to the guy who set him up. 
But why set him up in the first place? Figured I'd better go back to the office and pick up my mini-computer. I grabbed the bus and played another losing round of Try Not to Light the Smoke. I know what you're thinking. What am I, an anti-tech private Jane, doing with a computer that fits in my briefcase? The answer is necessity. They teach you at charm school how to make friends and influence people. Unfortunately, I flunked out. So I have to get all my info on blogs, bulletin boards, and police files. Dad left me his password, and Ernie made certain that it never got deleted. So I had instant access to the most wanted mugs. When I got back to the office, Harold wasn't around. I grabbed the comp, found the most quiet phone booth in my neighborhood, hooked up to the phone lines, threw in a quarter, and rang police headquarters. This way, if I got picked up, I'd have some time to scram instead of them tracing me back to my office. Sure, they'd guess who broke in. They wouldn't be able to prove anything. A moment later, and blink. Ain't modern technology a kick. I punch in the password. Peaches. Pop certainly loved me. I was daddy's little schnauzer. I'd change the password if I knew how. In less than 30 seconds, I've got Harcourt's name and file. His priors are longer than the Mississippi Waterway. His latest affiliations with the city's main crime boss, Rufus Delaney. I'd never met Delaney, and by the look of his file, I'd never want to. Here's a guy who's never made it to the joint, not even once, but had connections with the mob for over 20 years. That told me one thing. He was one smart cookie. I blipped off the computer. Maybe I should stake out Harcourt's haunts tonight. I decided instead to go back to the office. Pull out my favorite magnum and have a liquid lunch. Gotta protect my girlish figure, you know. When I made it back home, Harold was still out, so I came into my office. There were two mugs standing by my desk. They had already emptied the drawers onto the floor. Place looked better already. You boys got an appointment? Shut up, Graves. I got a little warning for you. And I'm only gonna tell you once. Leave Ragliano alone. That's sweet. His mother sent you to take care of him. I should learn never to mouth off to hoods. They don't like it. My gut felt like somebody put a lead pipe through it and I dropped to a knee, getting my breath. What do you guys want with a weasel like Iggy? He's just a small-time squealer. What did Ragliano say? Forget it. He wouldn't have said anything to her. If he did, he'd be fried by now. Can I offer you gents something? Vodka? Coffee? The door? Thanks, Graves. We'll find our own way out. I think you understand our concerns. Yeah, I think I've got a gut instinct as to what's bothering you. You're a real card, Graves. Just remember what we said. Didn't want to let on that I'd recognized him. The guy with the granite jaw and fist to match was Anthony Harcourt. His computerized mug burned into my brain just as his knuckles were imprinted in my gut. I hate being sucker-punched. You'd think that I'd expect it by now. I feel like a class-A sucker. I sat down at my desk and began putting the various items back where they belonged. If Harcourt was looking for something valuable, he didn't find it. Didn't take long for me to realize that the only thing he did take were the newspaper clippings I had on the Fix-It murders. This clinched my suspicions. The mob and Fix-It were tied somehow, and the attempted hit on Ernie figured into this too. If Harcourt talked to Ragliano and he hit Ernie, he must have figured that Ernie knew too much. Me too, or else he wouldn't have searched my desk. But he didn't find anything other than my circled paper clippings of the Fix-It case. Something everyone else who reads the Daily would know about. The question is, what does Ernie know that he didn't tell me? Whatever it is, I didn't know. I had a funny feeling that it saved my life, though. Harcourt would have had no compunction in killing me should the situation require. Maybe he wanted me to stay alive long enough to talk to Ernie and get the info out of him. Then they could take whatever it was they were looking for and leave me with cement evening pumps. This whole damn thing was getting to be a freight train of a headache. And I knew that the only cure, fear not, was to find out what was going on. Harcourt made a big mistake in slugging me. The last man to touch me was my husband. And even then, we had a schedule. I figured I'd gather what was left of myself up and go see Ernie again. The hospital smelled like an antiseptic spray mist. 
I had to practice my Lamaze training just to keep from woofing my cookies all over the polished tile. I hate hospitals. Ernie looked like a gray spider hooked up to a web of instruments. I told him about the little meeting I had with the boys' club. He listened intently. And you're sure it's Delaney you're dealing with? Yeah, I recognize Tony Harcourt. Harcourt's big time bad news. Delaney could have rented a motor. He could have moved to the competition. No way. I'm sure. They mentioned that Iggy Ragliano would get fried if he spilled what he knew. And Delaney likes to make all of his hits by electrocution. Yeah, I read the reports. Bare wire nooses hanging from light sockets, wired cars, doors, radios, and swimming pool. This guy likes to light up more things in the hydro department. It's his... <coughs> it's his signature card. Hey, you're looking tired, Ernie. I'm not going to keep you any longer. You sure you don't know anything more about the fix-it case than you told me? If I knew something, Peaches, I'd tell you. I want you to nail those bastards to the wall. <coughs> wall. But I know no more than you do. Less. Now that you told me about the mob connection, I just don't know where it fits. The mob stays away from psychos. No, <coughs> no percentage in killing nobodies. And they're all nobodies. Just street waifs, drug pushers, small-time prostitution. <coughs> all below mob league. Yeah. Well, thanks anyway, Ernie. Just rest up, okay? I'll make sure that these flatfoots outside don't fall asleep on you. Yeah. How about that, Lieutenant? Even though he doesn't think it was planned, he's still got some uniforms sitting out there, to be sure. Yeah. He's a real peach. Good night, Ernie. Goodbye, Philippa. For one brief instant, I felt a cold chill zip down my spine, like I was stepping out of an evening gown in a winter's night. For that moment, I feared that Ernie would die there, alone in his hospital room, unable to sit up, unable to fight back at what cut him down, unable even to piss from an upright position, with every scrap of dignity removed. I had to find the connection that we were missing. Holmes always said roughly that if nothing in a puzzle fit, try and find a new picture to attach the piece to. Lieutenant Franco mentioned that none of the cases, plural, that Ernie worked on would have any reason to want him dead. So maybe it was time to find another connection through another case. I couldn't get into the precinct. Franco would have me arrested. So I headed back to my office again. When I got there, I was cranky. The belt in my stomach was aching, and what was worse, I'd run out of cigarettes. Harold was his cheerful self. In my nicotine fit, I considered lighting his hair ablaze and taking a puff on his loafers. The thought put a smile on my face for the five seconds it took for Harold to ruin my mood. Joe Montana is in your office. That hack? Why'd you let him in? What the hell do I pay you for? I know what the hell you don't pay me with, and that's money. Montana happens to be a top-of-the-line detective, one of the few of your brotherhood. I shot him a look of pure tequila venom. Club. That will still talk to you, let alone even respect you. He's looking for a partner, and he's willing to pay cash. He's a knob and a shyster. He's a weasel-node, slack-jawed, penny-pinching, slapdash, pencil-pushing, ass-kissing Harvard wuss. He also has cash. Cash and connections. Just last week, he was playing golf with the district attorney. Golf's highly overrated, Harold. Golfers hold multiple sticks between their legs to make up for sexual deficiency. Tell Montana to hit the road. I'm not seeing him. If you don't see him, I quit. You don't mean it. I can't keep being paid in a future time, boss. I've got bills to pay and a wedding to... Plan. Yes, I know. Oh, damn it, all right. But I'm not getting into any kind of a partnership with him. I'll just see him, okay? Okay. And, boss? Yeah. Thanks. Just serve us up a couple of coffees and make it the real stuff. That decaf you used last week upset my delicate constitution. I slept all night. Philippa, how you doing? Joe, what a pleasant surprise. What can I do for you? Well, actually, your secretary, Harold, nice legs, by the way, said that you were a little cash-shy lately and could use a partner. I have the money. Why not stay with your own business, Joe? Well, you know, the economy is a little slow lately, and... It wouldn't have anything to do with your P.I. license being suspended, now, would it? Where did you hear that? Just buzz around the street. That's why you were golfing with the D.A., Trying to get the suspension revoked, huh? They took it away from me. 
Being a PI is all I've known, Philippa. I got the cash. I know I'm not officially a PI right now, but I can do any kind of digging you need. I still have all my old contacts. I'm still good. How'd you lose your license? Decked a clown. A cop? No, a clown. I was doing this security job, and this clown came in for a birthday in the building. I got a tip that a bomb was planted, so I figured the clown was the perp. Turns out he was Coco the Clown, from TV. I remember him when I was a kid. Has his own Saturday morning show, don't he? Yeah. Well, Coco doesn't have much of a sense of humor. He sued the office, and they removed my license. What do you say, Philippa? I really need this job. Well, okay. But we ain't partners or nothing. This office is mine, and mine alone. Come outside to Harold and give him all your particulars. Thanks, Philippa. Really, you won't regret this. Yeah, sure. Harold, sign Joe here in for the duration. I'm heading off to tail a creep. Joe, do you have any contacts at the Fourteenth Precinct? Yeah, sure. Why? Go down there and dig up whatever cases Detective Ernest Rosenthal was working on. And uh, don't let anyone know you're doing it, okay? Okay. Oh, Joe. Yeah. Do you have any smokes? Nah, I gave that up months ago. Too bad. You're fired. She was just kidding, Mister Montana. Oh, yeah, kidding. I had to admit, I felt badly for Joe. Sure, he was a straight-laced schmuck, but he wasn't as bad as I told Harold. Harold already knew that. That's why I got Montana in the first place. Joe was a class A PI. Maybe it was a lack of sleep or food or the condition that Ernie was in, but I was feeling sentimental. Sentiment is a lousy thing to carry around with you. Someday I'll pay to have mine removed. I hit the streets just as the heavens opened up raining. Trench coats are the attire of Private Jane's, and I found myself in the city underground, out of the wet soon enough. It wasn't long before I noticed two men tailing me. They had mob written all over their dull gray suits. A couple of subway switches, and I ditched them. When I finally hit street side again, it was dark, and the rain had turned down to a light drizzle. My plan was to look for Harcourt and shadow him until he led me to Mister Fixit. What made me think that Harcourt knew Fixit personally? Well, I was gambling with Delaney didn't trust too many middlemen to take care of something as delicate as Fixit. My contacts on the street had me hanging out at some seedy, condemned flats on the east side. Banks that Delaney regularly gave his cash a spin dry, and some businesses that were hit up for protection money. Four hours later, pay dirt. Harcourt comes out smoking a long cigarette and walking south down Eighth Avenue. I'd gone nearly five hours without a smoke, and right now, I envied Harcourt's mouth. I followed the grease ball to several locations: three flats on the east side, a card shop, and a hot dog stand. I was nearly ready to give up when I saw him drop something into a flower pot just beside a cart. It was too large to be a discarded wrapper from one of the two footlongs he bought. Harcourt turned his head twice, looking over his shoulder. I ducked behind a bus shelter, and when I looked back, Harcourt was gone, disappeared among the moving mass of people. I was cursing my luck and ready to board the bus when I remembered the drop that Harcourt made. A pale Caucasian with a short shock of dark hair came over to the flower pot and nonchalantly looked down at it. Without a sideways glance at those passing by him, he reached down to the magnolias and brought out a small white envelope. It quickly disappeared underneath his dirty gray long coat, and the man started walking east on Garfort. I pulled out my handy dandy camera and took a couple of pictures of his profile as he crossed the street. Then I followed him. With Harcourt lost, this waif was my best chance. He ended up on the worst side of the worst side of town. His apartment was a little shack on Fourth. I took a few snaps of that too. When he didn't come out after about an hour, I left to head back to my own office. Nearly eight hours had passed since I left there, and I was anxious to see what Montana had on Ernie's old caseload. Harold was rearranging and restoring some of the old files into the computer database. I told him he was fighting a lost cause. He answered, "Do you think I'd be working for you if I didn't believe in lost causes or hard luck cases? That's hard-boiled cases. Where's Montana? Inside your office. He's been there for four hours now. I hate apple polishers." Montana looked like he had just swallowed a canary. He sat on the corner of my desk with papers strewn all over it. What'd you find? I got the cases of Ernie Rosenthal, just like you said. Photocopied them, put them back without anyone noticing. Great. Get off my desk. 
What'd you find? Rosenthal was pretty bogged down. Looks like he was investigating the fix-it murders in his spare time. Central worked hard at nixing any full-blown investigation. He came up with a psych profile on the bastard, though. It's in the file. Oh, I picked you up some smokes while I was out. You look like you could use them. But I tell you, you'd be better off quitting. Like Thanks. I nabbed the smokes off the desk and lit one before Montana could go into his sermon. I was too weary to hear about the evils of tobacco and the purity of honest living. Born-agains and reformed smokers, no one's more pious. I bit my lip from saying anything damaging to Montana's masculinity and moved on. What other cases was he working on? Two domestics, one B&E, a grand theft, and some background check on property on the east side. Hold the phone. Property on the east side? I seem to remember seeing something on that. I hit the intercom button. Harold, run out to the daily. Give me back issues of the last month. All 30 issues? Yeah, all 30. And don't stop to do your nails, either. I need these ASAP. What are you thinking about? When I was doing research on the fix-it murders, I was reading some articles on a revitalization plan for the East End. Medium and large business groups putting in a fair dollar into rebuilding another lost cause. At least I thought it was a lost cause at the time. East End's where all the dope trafficking and prostitution goes on. Yeah, but the trafficking's mostly uncontrolled. Mob's been dealing drugs to an upscale clientele. Now the yuppies are ready for some smack, they can charge higher prices. Make better stuff and more bucks on the deal in cleaner surroundings with more trained personnel. The pushers and users that deal on the east side are strictly small-timers turning fast greenbacks. Same with prostitution. So what's your point? My point is, maybe Rufus Delaney ain't making quite the cash he thought he should be through the mob. Maybe he just thought he'd get a surefire legit business. Something that'll get him back his capital and more. Real estate? Real estate. His number one goon, Tony Harcourt, was seen meeting this guy. I pulled the disc from my camera and plugged it into my slowly warming computer. The bit image solidified and I outlined a window on the dark-haired man. I plugged in the computer to the phone lines and started dialing the police network when Montana pushed me over. Let me use that thing. Word is, the police station, that if they find you using their network again, they'll send you to Sing Sing. I thought you lost your license. Doesn't mean I lost my access. I got a pretty young sergeant down at the Central Information Network that loves sushi and can't get enough of my charms. Men. They're delusions of grandeur. Still, Montana was turning out good for something. He bought me smokes. What did you find out? Your man is Jacob Browning, a real sweet fella. Used to be a carpenter in the Lower South Side. Everyone's picked for Citizen of the Year. Then the truth came out. Wife reported him three times for assault and battery. She left him, but that's when the interesting stuff comes about. Seems like he was a chief suspect in about eight cases of vicious rape, three of them leading to death from sustained injuries. But none of the survivors would come forth and positively ID him. Apparently, he loved his craft. Some of the victims were nailed against walls to stop them from escape. Others were bound with electrician's wire or tape. Some even had their fingers hacksawed off. He was finally indicted in assault against his wife and was put away for 16 months. Prison psychologists said he has no remorse for his crimes and a great hatred for women to match. Never should have left the home, and their working is a plot to try and remove men from society. What a sick puppy. Any connection to Rufus Delaney or Anthony Harcourt? According to Harcourt's rap sheet, the two of them spent time at Fairbanks Correctional Institute. They're both released within weeks of each other as well. That's enough! Shut your yap, Montana, or I'll ventilate you right now. Who let you in, Harcourt? I let myself in. Came to see if you were listening to my little warning before. But I guess it fell on deaf ears. Your secretary left his desk, but you still had the intercom on. I heard everything you jackasses said. Me and technology. But as useful as a wart. Harold has to talk slower when he shows me how to use these new gadgets. Look, Harcourt, put the gun away. It's not going to help you. We got the goods on you. And there are two of us. Guess I'll just have to make the odds more even. <coughs> the silenced bullet caught Montana in the stomach and he fell like a sack of compost. I tried to lift him into a comfortable position and cringed at the ugly hole pumping near black-red blood out of his gut. Take it easy, Joe. He tried to talk while searching for the next breath. We didn't discuss danger pay. I turned back to Harcourt. You imbecile! 
Why'd you have to do that? Trigger happy goon. Call the ambulance. I'll do no such thing. Now come on. I think it's time you talk to Mr. Delaney. Give Rufus my best. I'm busy today. Have him call and we'll do lunch next week. This ain't a request. Of course, you could join Montana on the floor if you want. Okay, okay. I stood up. There was no way for me to try and take out Harcourt now. The mobster was too itchy to blow me away. Joe was already getting cold and lapsing into unconsciousness. I had to leave here with Harcourt and hope Harold got back in time to call 911. Let's go see Delaney. The ride to Delaney's office was uneventful and crowded. Two mugs sat in the back, their heaters trained on my every breath. Harcourt drove in through the underground parking garage. I couldn't help thinking about Joe bleeding on my floor and cursing myself for being so damned helpless. After all, my ex loved me that way. When we finally made it up the 24 floors to Delaney's personal office, I gave the blonde bimbo an icy stare as we passed. I was practicing my evil eye, and apparently it worked. The chick looked like she swallowed her gum. Harcourt guided me into Delaney's suite, and the fat man was standing behind his desk smoking a stogie that smelled like a warm fireplace on a northern night. He was dressed in a brand new suit that was cut in a style popular before Canada entered Confederation. I see you are admiring my apparel. Let me feed your curiosity. I have a passion for antiquities, especially from the Victorian age. Life was so much more easily understood back then. There were savages and there were civilized men. There were men born of station and wealth and men born of the street. Women were ladies or whores, but ladies always knew their place and ladies wore respectful material, corsets, girdles, bustiers, long flowing dresses. I wonder, did you ever wear a corset, Miss Graves? Never for very long. And it's Ms. Graves. Yes. That ridiculous moniker that women go by now. So afraid to be perceived as property. So determined to rail against the natural order of things. Yes. Well, I'd love to discuss Darwinian evolution with you, Delaney. But I guess having Harcourt here helps you really bridge the missing link to the chimps. No, no, Anthony. One must never strike a lady. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Delaney. That's all right. Miss Graves... Ms. Graves could hardly qualify as a lady anyway. Yeah. I'll take that as a compliment. Mr. Harcourt told me that you have ignored my little suggestion to stay away from my affairs. Yeah. I've got this problem. When somebody ticks me off, I don't back away. Sounds like a terrible illness. Fatal once it's gone too far. You're not going to kill me. My dear, I don't kill anyone. I remove obstacles. Call it what you will. You aren't going to remove me either. And why not? Your bozo thought I was doing this for Ernie Rosenthal. Well, that was true in the beginning, but thanks to your boys here, Ernie's not liable to make it out of the hospital. Yeah, I'm pretty burned about you doing him in. But I've got one thing that is a little more important to me than revenge. And what is that? What else? Seven-digit greenbacks. You see, I have your operation figured out. You've made yourself a lot of dough, haven't you? Loans, sharking, protection rackets, high-bill prostitution, even some drug pushing. There's one thing you don't have. You know what that is? <sighs> Enlighten me. A legitimate business. Not something small that you have to scratch your way to the top in, but something really big you can sink all your dirty money into at once. Maybe even make you look like a pillar of society at the same time. You decide on real estate. Where's the cheapest real estate in the city? East side. But the east side's polluted. It's filled with street urchins who'd get arrested for sleeping on the streets anywhere else. Not to mention urban crime that'd give even a slug like you the night sweats. Sure, you could buy up all the east side property, but it's worthless. Shake the buildings a little and they'll fall down. Dopers and hookers drive away any business opportunities. So bingo, you come up with a plan. Do tell. Plan to revitalize the eastern side. You've got your slimy organization working a publicity game that would put a U.S. presidential nominee to shame. You work the east side and speak about how your program's going to clean up the streets. You get charities that are unaware of your dealings to start giving some of the worst buildings facelifts. You pay them minimum wage and give them the supplies, and you promise to give them low-income housing when they're done. 
Most of the street tramps jump at the chance to pick up a saw and hammer for the promise of a roof over their heads. You don't move out the crime. You don't control these pros and drug rings. And they aren't moving anywhere. After all, everyone knows that's where to go to get high and get laid cheaply. And since the cops don't go near the east side, no way are they moving just because some winos are fixing up houses. That's where Mr. Browning comes in. Excuse me, Mr. Who? Browning. Jacob Browning. Class 1 nutcase with an axe to grind. Our court spent some time with him in the joint. You're someone who loves cutting people up. With no past history to the mob, and he's expendable when things get, uh, fixed, if you'll pardon the expression. So, Harcourt sets Browning up in the east side, gets him all pumped up to kill some prosts, gives him a serial M.O., and then lets him do his... artistry. It works like a charm. Mr. Fixit murders have no tie. The cops run out of patience looking for a serial killer who likes to waste street sluts, and things start changing around the East End. Suddenly, with fears of a serial killer, Johns and Janes alike don't come around looking for blow. Drug dealers and working girls move onward, and the East Side is reclaimed by the public. You had a great idea, Rufus. Chance to rebuild a city. It's too bad you had to rebuild the East End on the top of the bodies of innocent people. The innocent are guilty people who haven't done anything yet. I merely understand what the police do. Hookers and drug pushers are not worth the bother. If I can rebuild an empire on their worthless corpses, so much the better. The less waste in the world. No. Let's get this straight, Rufus. You weren't doing this out of some grand philosophy. You planned to rent out the east side at a high cost once you cleaned it up for decent people. And the poor jamokes you had rebuilding your empire, you'd gouge for whatever you could make off of them. The plan is that only upper-income people could live in your newly styled apartments. Street folk would shuffle off to some other place in town where they could be forgotten and abused. And what's to stop me from removing you, since you know all this? Nothing. Nothing except a couple of letters my secretary has that explains exactly what you're doing, and your connections to Browning. Enough information that'll definitely put you away. Possibly give Harcourt here the electric chair. What do you think your investors will think of your business practices, Mr. Delaney? Damn it, boss. Let me plug her. She's too much trouble. Yeah. Go ahead. Pop my cork. I'll see you fry from my balcony seat on cloud nine. You're bluffing. You'd say anything to stay alive for another five minutes. Could be. I could have made all this up. But if I did, would you still be talking to me? If I was wrong so far, you'd have laughed me out of your office. Or had this ape shoot me. Or fry me. Where it has it, you like electricity. Edison was a childhood hero of mine. What do you want, Miss Graves? Two million, and I'll keep quiet. For two mil, I'll give you every bit of information I have connecting you to Browning in the east side. After that, I could squawk to the DA himself, and he'd kick me out of his office without even taking my name. One million. Two. That's my offer. I've got bills to pay for and a hut in Tahiti with my name on it. You can get it for me tonight at my office. I'll meet you there at ten. But come by yourself, Rufus, and bring the money or the deal's off. How can I trust that you will give me all the copies of the information? I'll have the copies that my secretary has sitting on the desk complete with my computer. I don't have a home address right now, so everything will be in the office. You can search it all you want. After I get my money. Deal? Mr. Harcourt, escort Ms. Graves to the door. See that she has a cab fare to get back to her office. She has a package to be ready to deliver to me in 45 minutes. And Ms. Graves... Yeah? Double-cross me, and I'll make you wish you had stayed with your husband. Delaney really knew where to hurt me the most. I grabbed a cab and headed back to the office. Blood stained the floor where Joe had fallen and Harold was still gone. I hoped he got Montana to the doctor on time. I dialed the 14th precinct, and after five frustrating minutes on the line, finally got connected with Lieutenant Franco. Franco. Mickey, send some of your unmarked cruisers to my office right away. I'm about to get a visit by Mr. Fixit or Rufus Delaney. Either way, I'm one dead duck unless I have backup. I've just gotten word that Joe Montana was gunned down in your office. What the hell is going down, Graves? It's a long story, and if you don't hurry, you don't get to hear it. I just bluffed Rufus Delaney into thinking I have him cold. He's coming here to kill me. Bluffed him? Do you have anything? Well, not the actual documents, but I've got enough to have him drawn up on charges. The question is, did Delaney believe me? If he believed me, he'll come himself and sneak Harcourt in to kill me later. If he didn't, he'll be sending Mr. Fixit here to kill me and destroy the office anyway. Oh, God. Graves? Graves, what is it? 
You didn't believe me, Lieutenant. Send your men now. I've got Mr. Fixit coming up my stairs. Philippa, get out. Get the hell out of there. Philippa? Philippa! Very bad girl, Philippa. Very, very bad. You're browning, right? Look, I don't know what Delaney told you, but you're just a tool to him. I like tools. I'm very good with them. I've been using this exacto knife. But why don't we get ourselves comfortable and I'll, I'll show you how bad you've really been. Die, you bastard! You shot me! Browning was staring at me as if by firing off my pistol I had asked him a question in a foreign language. He was twisted, contorted, his face actually enjoying the pain of the bullets tearing into his body. Blood welled in his shirt, but he didn't care. Knife in one hand, tape in another. He moved closer. I decided to let Rod interpret for me some more. This time I was luckier. One of the bullets hit his skull and the sicko fell to the floor. But now my gun was empty. Like a man. It had fired off a couple of times, rolled over, and fell asleep. I fumbled for more bullets in the desk, but the lights went. I figured Harcourt came with Browning when my line to Franco was cut. I still groped for ammo when Harcourt's first shot clipped my shoulder and I went back on my buns. He came through the door. My eyes were getting used to the dark, so I pushed past him and dove down the stairs. He recovered his balance and tumbled after me. The street was too quiet like a scene of West Side Story, and I ran down a one-way street, stopping to duck into a doorway. I knew if I kept running that I was dead. I couldn't outrun a bullet. I fought hard, biting my lips blue, trying to slow my breathing, and as I heard his footsteps come closer and closer. I steeled my nerve and struck out with my foot into his solar plexus. The bad news was that I missed the solar plexus. The good news is that I hit something a little more... vital. Harcourt reeled back, slightly stunned. We fought in the street. I hit him with my fists, broken glass, rocks, garbage, and anything and everything I could get my hands on. Black belt or no, I was too frightened for finesse. In the end... Ah, you little bitch, I'm gonna blow your head off. It was no good. He had somehow gotten a hold of his gun and had it pointed two inches from my head. There was no time for flashbacks. No time for prayers. No time for regrets. I was gonna die here... In this grubby back alley. Harcourt slumped down. I looked around. Montana was standing against the wall. His gun shook unsteadily as it lowered. He looked like something the cat refused to drag in. Harold was running over to help me up. I waved him away, trying to catch my breath. The sound of approaching sirens ringing in my ears. Are you alright? Yeah. Thanks to you. Cops on their way. They're chasing Delaney himself. Currently, he was waiting in the car and took off, but his driver lost control on the bridge. They're going to have to drag the lake for his body. Now, about that danger pay. We'll talk about it in my office. Harold, rehydrate some of that coffee for us, will you? If Joe's got to go back to the hospital, he might as well be pumped out for food poisoning as well. That was the close of the case. Lieutenant Franco was happy to get the info on Delaney, but less than pleased that I was the one who gave it to him. Two strong, conflicting emotions put him on sick leave for three days after. Joe and I got patched up and started our next case. It took Harold a while to get over the fact that he didn't see him curled up in pain by my desk. Ernie didn't do as well. He died just three days later. I always remembered him telling me at the station house. Peaches, he'd say... Life really stinks. So he wasn't poetic, but he was real. He cared about his job, and I'll miss the guy. Lots. When they finished dragging the lake and they brought up the body of Delaney, I figured I'd owed it to Ernie to identify the corpse. Montana and I went to the morgue, and there he lay. The fat man. His head was missing. His clothes torn off from being rubbed around in a broken car. They couldn't check fingerprints because they didn't have any on file. How do you know it's Delaney? We can only guess. It's his car. Chauffeur's been made, and he is about the right shape of Delaney. Weight, too. That is, without the head. 
pretty gruesome sight, Doc. I've seen worse. Come on, Montana. Let's go. Pretty weird, eh? A guy with the power and money of Rufus Delaney reduced to that lump of wet meat? That's not Delaney. Don't be so paranoid. Who else would it be? I don't know, but that's not Delaney. How can you be so sure? You've got the file. He was born to Jewish parents. That body wasn't circumcised. So Delaney was alive and Ernie wasn't. Somehow the city never protects its own. It just keeps getting dirtier and dirtier. Even Delaney's plan to whitewash the buildings with blood couldn't have wiped away the decay. Maybe, I thought at the time. Maybe Ernie was just one of the lucky ones. He didn't have to see the rot anymore. Maybe it was easier being part of the decay and just going on without the memory of something better. So I knew it wasn't Harcourt or Browning who shot me through my window. They were definitely dead. And Rufus Delaney? Sure, he'd made it past that first case, but he'd long since sizzled in the electric chair. Funny, for a man who loved frying others, he went tasting ozone. So who shot me? I wish I could reach out and call for help. Just pick up the phone, but my arms are dead. All I can do is lie here with my head resting on my desk and try and solve this last case. Who else could have done this? I think back to another case, another time. Episode 1, Open for Business, was created and written by Jack J. Ward. And Guy is Philippa Graves. Tim Dunn played Joe Montana. The part of Harold Fortenbacher was performed by David Louch. Dennis Brown was Lieutenant Mickey Franco. Aubrey Fricks invoked the role of Rufus Delaney. Pasha Ebrahimi put knuckles to Anthony Harcourt. David Henry executed Ernie Rosenthal. The Doctor was operated by David Remington. Manfred Onward squeaked through as Iggy Regliano and Officer with Biceps. Jack J. Ward cut up Mr. Fixit and squared off as mug number one. Get Out of Town was written by Cole Porter and performed by Brittany Anderson. Editing by Paul Patterson. Shadowlands theme music is created by Christopher Moreno. Incidental music themes and scores by Sharon B. Fowler. Sound effects and digital landscape by Andrew Dorfman. Shadowlands Theatre is directed and produced by Jack J. Ward and Andrew Dorfman and recorded in the sound studios of CKDU 97.5 FM in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Shadowlands Theatre is a work of fiction. All dramatic material within is for entertainment purposes only. Any references to real events, businesses, or locales are intended only to give the fiction a sense of reality and authenticity, and not to describe any actual conduct. Any character's resemblance to an actual person, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. For more information on the Shadowlands, go to our website at www.shadowlandstheatre.com. I've been rewriting Philippa in the Shadows these past eight years. Just an idea here and there. I found another great Philippa and hope to record a series of new shows in 2016. The old Philippa was pretty much rooted in the past. The new one will be in a dystopic, unfortunately familiar future. Hope you'll tune in when the time comes. Until next Wednesday, I'm Jack Ward for Electric Vicuna Productions. Keep listening.
This has been an Electric Vicuna production.